Welcome to another episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, the Boots on the Ground podcast for replanters by replanters with your host, Bob Bickford and Jimbo Stewart. Here in the trenches with you doing the gritty and glorious work of replanting dying churches. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital, the church website and branding partner you need to help move your church forward. Hey, here we are at the Bootcamp, back at it again, and I'm joined by the illustrious, the intelligent, the hilarious, and the creative, Dr. Jimbo Stewart. How you doing, Jimbo? I'm doing great. How are you, replant guru, beautiful, below average Bob Bickford? <laughs> you know what, Jimbo? I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I'm getting ready to go on vacation, so I'm That's, excited. Vacation's always good. I, I need some time away. I'm going to be with our family and our grandkids, so it should be fun. Hey, so what are you doing for vacation? What is that? What does vacation for the Bickfords look like? Well, Jimbo, I, this is not going to inspire anybody. We are going, and nobody thinks about going here for vacation. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, you know what? Let's go to Oklahoma City for vacation. I, I don't think anybody's okay. ever said that. I'm, and I don't have anything against Oklahoma City, but I just don't think a lot of people think about it as a vacation destination. But because our kids, our grown kids, our two big kids are in Texas, and we're trying to meet somewhere in between and accommodate travel schedules and okay. little kids and work schedules and all that. The nexus of all that when we charted it out was Oklahoma City. So there we go. So what what fun activities what fun activities are there for you guys to do as a family in Oklahoma City? Well, they've got a zoo, they've got something called the Brickyard, they've got a baseball team, they have uh, an amusement park, you know, so there's several things that we can do. Of course, being the Yelp elite, I'll have to find uh, some good eating establishments, you know, one or two of those. Yep. And then uh, we've, you know, we've rented a big house. We're all going to pile in there and play games and laugh and spend time together. And we're bringing, you know, some games for the kids and puzzles and board games and that sort of thing. You know, we'll make our, we'll make some of our own fun while we'll go discover some of Oklahoma City's fun. I'm thankful that this is it. not the springtime because. In springtime in Oklahoma City, there are tornadoes. You know, you're dealing with, uh, you got a tropical storm coming. You're going to have to deal with that. But, you know, in Jacksonville, you, you hardly ever get anything. But in Oklahoma City during tornado season, it's a bad deal. But you know what? It's summer. We're probably not going to deal with tornadoes. Yeah, we've got, so we're recording this uh, a week ahead of time. I will be in the beautiful Colorado next week up there with our buddy Mark Halleck for his non-ignorable conference. And so you'll get this after that is over on the podcast. Just got back from South Carolina for July 4th weekend. We are getting, we're, we're hunkering down, getting ready for Elsa to come through yes. and hit us. So there are lots of great memes related to the movie Frozen <laughs> and, and hurricanes on our local internet stations of social media here in the Jacksonville, Florida area. You're talking about baseball. When I was in South Carolina, I got to go to, I got to tell you about a victorious moment that I had. We went to a minor league and like the lowest level of minor, minor league. Like the kind where they get people out of the stands to play that kind of low level of minor league? <laughs> not, not quite that low. Uh, okay. It was, it's, it's literally called low A is the categorization. <laughs> uh, low A is, it was, it's the Augusta Green Jackets. And it was the Augusta Green Jackets versus the Columbia Fireflies. And after the game, I, I don't know if you've ever been to a minor league game, and they do this at other games too. 
you can buy a bag of tennis balls and they'll set out these hula hoops with prizes and from your seat you throw the tennis balls and see if you can get it in one of the hula hoops for a prize and i was victorious i won uh, a felt pennant for the augusta green jackets by throwing a tennis ball into a hula hoop that uh, i gave to my nephew because that's awesome i don't really i don't really care about the augusta green jackets but we had a good time were their uniforms green? That's I just want to know that. Did they have green? They uniforms? were not actually. Ironically, they were not green. Okay. They are a low A affiliate of the Atlanta Braves, and gotcha. so they were in Atlanta Braves colors. Um, but they were called the Green Jackets. Well, because of the Masters in Augusta. Yeah, in Augusta. So, all right, moving on to the podcast actual information for today. The last two episodes, I think, were really good on cautions for visionaries and cautions for shepherds that we challenge people to be visionary shepherd leaders and find a balance there. And one of the ways that that we see those things kind of highlighted uh, in the differences of leadership is when it comes to biting sheep or wolves and how visionary kind of uh, productivity-based people handle that versus shepherding very patient people. And one of the inevitabilities, pastoral ministry of any kind, whether that's replanting, revitalization, church planting, anything, is, is sometimes the sheep bite. And so how do we handle that, Bob? What do we do when the sheep bite? Yeah. Well, Jimbo, I've talked to a couple of pastors recently, and they're dealing with that. So I'm, I'm sure our listeners far and wide here in U.S. America and around the world have probably encountered when somebody in their church has decided that they don't like something or they're going to be critical or they're going to do something. And so that's when we talk about sheep biting. It could be a critical email. It could be a, an outburst in a meeting. It could be a behind-the-scenes campaign. Just think kind of helpful to define what a sheep biting might look like. And then you'd mentioned wolves and wolves are basically those people in the congregation who are not genuinely what we would say would be regenerate or they might, they don't have a relationship with Christ. And so they're going to, from that character, respond in a particular way in terms of life inside the church in a harmful way, right? To hurt the church, that sort of thing. So defining those two sorts of things, I I think one of the things that comes to my mind is Jimbo, when, when you have a sheep, a person in the in the flock that's complaining, I want to listen to them as fully and as openly as I possibly can, right? Because mm-hmm. there are a lot of times when people are working out some sort of issue or complaint that they might not have completely formulated it in their mind, and it's difficult for them to talk about it. Or as they talk about it, you may lock onto one or two pieces of their commentary or what they're saying, and you might miss the bigger point. And so I think you got to lean in and listen to try to understand what exactly are they saying? And so one of the things I found helpful to do is, is if you just got to, re- you, sometimes you have to take what they're saying and to say something like this, the segue term. Hey, so let me, let me just kind of repeat back to you what I heard you say, because I just want to make sure mm-hmm. I understand this correctly. And that simple practice can help us connect with someone 
who we might have an emotional response to that we really don't want to listen to. Right? And so for me, it's kind of a discipline. Yeah, 100% agree to that. I think, look, man, this is good marriage advice. This is good uh, <laughs> just advice in, in general, right? If you can learn to listen, to understand, not yep. listen, to respond. One of my favorite Proverbs, Proverbs 18.2, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his own opinions. Yes. Uh, and we don't want to. We don't. We pity that fool. I pity the fool. I pity. It takes no pleasure in, in understanding. Takes no pleasure in understanding, but only expressing his own opinion. And here's the deal, man. From what I've experienced in life and marriage, is the large majority of the time when there is a lot of heat to a disagreement, it's pretty much guaranteed that somebody's not understanding the other person correctly. Usually you're not that, usually, now there are times, but usually you are not that diametrically opposed to somebody that it should create such vitriol, right? Sure. And so a lot of times that just means that, okay, I'm not I'm not understanding and I'm a little bit puzzled by what I'm hearing you say. And, and here's the, Here's the deal. I think everybody should have to take forensics, not scientific forensics like CSI, but like debate, right? Everybody should have to learn the rules of Lincoln-Douglas debate and the strategies. And one of the big strategies of Lincoln-Douglas debate is you're not ready to debate someone truly unless you understand their point of view, their argument so well that you can state it back to them in such a way that they would agree with your summarization of their point, right? And so unless I can say, hey, here's what's your point, because this is what we see in politics. This is what we see in the SBC or, or, or anything where we have these like, you know, two sides of the fence, big opposed things is they'll say, well, you know, those people, they only believe that. And they'll state some sort of ridiculous thing that the other people don't actually believe. Right. Like, no, yeah. that's not true. That's, that's, let's not do that. Let's not misrepresent truth. Yeah. And so I think I think it's so valuable what you just said that you probably won't have as emotional of a response if you can make sure you just really understand what somebody's saying. And so absolutely ensure that you're understanding, listen fully, repeat back to them what they have said and ask, hey, here's say here's here's what I'm hearing you say. I'm hearing you say that X, Y, Z. Is that correct? Is that am I understanding your perspective correctly? Because here's the deal about perspective, right? Your perspective is your perspective. It's not their perspective. And their perspective is their perspective. And we we have to make sure that we are understanding each each other's perspective. And so sometimes maybe they're mad at you because they've misunderstood what you've done or said. And so you say, hey, I just want to make sure that we're on the same page here. You are upset with me because you believe in your perspective that I don't care about senior adults. Right. Am, am I right? Am I understanding your perspective correctly? And if they're like, yeah, absolutely. Of course you don't care. You, you've you shown us you don't care. OK, can I share with you my perspective from that? Because one of the great illustrations I've seen as far as a simple illustration is if I hold up my hand to the screen right now, Bob, and you were to describe my hand, you're going to describe lifelines, chubby fingers, fingerprints <laughs> and, and all of that. Right. But. From, from my side, looking at my hand, I see fingernails and I see hairy knuckles and I see different things in what you see. But neither of us are wrong. We each just have different 
perspectives. And in order to get the full picture, we got to make sure that we hear each other's perspectives and understand each other's perspectives clearly. Yeah, I, I would have not used any of those words to describe your hand just now. I said, Jim, you need to get some sun, brother. You are pale. You are, you are very pale. I was like, my goodness, that is one white hand I have never seen in my life. Like, <laughs> All right, well, we got to move on. Here's the next one. Here's the yeah. next thing I think that's important when you're dealing with a biting sheep or an unruly sheep. You got to get to the scriptures. You got to get to the Bible because here's the deal, Mm -hmm. right? Just like perspective, everybody has an opinion and everybody's opinion is their opinion. And our opinion oftentimes is not a sanctified or scripturally informed or spirit filled opinion. And so the quicker we can get to the scripture and understand what God's opinion is on the matter, I think is, is super important for us to do. So this is not, I'm not saying, you know, it's like we're bat, we're swatting somebody down with the scriptures and opening up the Bible and using the Bible as like a battering ram. I'm not saying that, but I think we said, you know what, that's a, I really, I've heard you, I hear what you're saying. And I just am trying to understand biblically, what does God say about that issue? What is his opinion about mm-hmm. that issue? Because you and I seem to have two differing opinions about this issue. And I remember you saying, you sharing with me a story about when you were, you were having some kind of discussion with somebody in church somewhere, and they were proposing something or they wanted to do something. And, and you basically just kind of said, all right, all right, can you show me in scripture where you where that is? And I just remember being one really impressed with just that ability in that moment of great tension to be able to go, okay, I hear you, but let's look at the scriptures and discern together what God's God's word says on this matter. Yeah, that happened multiple times, to be honest. And so here's here, I want to preface before I share a story about it is the word of God is a sword. It is a weapon, but it is not, like you said, a weapon to be used to bludgeon other people. Yes. Right? It, it is it is meant to cut to the truth. And here's why that's important. The approach I'm about to share really works best if you consistently create a culture of word-driven decision-making, right? And so if consistently in your leadership, the people of your church see that the decisions made in leadership are driven by the Word of God, then you have some legs to stand on in order to do this, right? But if you, like I have seen at some churches, open the Bible, read the passage for the day, close the Bible, place it on the pulpit, and then just preach your own opinion for the next 25 minutes. (laughs) Or if you just make your decisions based off of your gut feelings or the latest trends or the latest blog article that tells you how to grow your church fast, uh, and you're constantly just going off the wisdom of yourself or the wisdom of men, and then all of a sudden in a conflict for the first time, that church member sees you use the word of God as an authority, that probably won't go well. No. And, and to be honest, it's probably at that point a little bit manipulative for you to, for all of a sudden, for you to become word centered. And so here's the deal if you can consistently lead in a word centered and word driven way, then here's what that provides you in conflict. So the one I think you're bringing up was in the midst of COVID, we had some leaders in our church that had very strongly expressed opinions about how we should handle the pandemic. 
and what our restrictions and our participation in those restrictions would look like. Would we require mask or would we not require mask? And and this particular leader came to me with just very strongly expressed opinions that I was leading out of fear and that I was buying into a hoax and that the pandemic was not real. And I said, hey, listen, I, I understand you have some very strong opinions about this. And because you're bringing these opinions to me in such a way that you hope to influence the leadership of this church and how it's led, I'm hoping that you have some scriptural backing for these convictions. And they looked at me and they said, well, no. But and I said, OK, well, then here's what I need you to understand. Whether you agree or disagree with how we are choosing to do this, we're doing this based off of some scriptural principles, right? And I, I talked about Romans 13. I talked about Romans 14. And I, and I talked about some texts that were guiding the way that we were approaching how we were handling some of this. And I said, now, if you believe that I'm not interpreting or applying those particular passages correctly, or if you have some biblical passages that back your strong convictions, then those are discussions I'm willing to have with you that could influence and change the way we're leading. But what I need you to understand is that we're going to be a word-centered and word-driven church. And when we make big decisions especially, we will not make big decisions unless we feel that the Word of God has spoken into those decisions. And what I what I feel like I did in that moment is, is tell this very strongly expressive person, it's not that I'm not willing to hear you, but I'm not qualified to sit here and debate over whether— People should wear a mask or not wear a mask. I'm not qualified. I, I don't know enough about the science of things to to tell you whether we should social distance or not social distance, especially as early on in the process as we were, where really nobody was qualified to talk about yeah. definitively, right? And so we just decided to err on the side of Romans 13 and 14 and applying those in a way that we felt was compassionate without, without being fear-mongering, that allowed opportunities for everybody to worship freely in the way that they had convictions to do. And, and so, but there's been multiple times, right? There's, so what I told our people consistently, as so I try to demonstrate by example here, I'm going to lead through, here's the passage of scripture leading how we're, guide how we're leading. If you have disagreements, I'm very open to listen to those, but I need you to bring your Bible and we're going to open our Bibles in that discussion. And you're going to share your opinion. I'm going to share my opinion. And then we're going to go to the Word of God, and we're going to see what it has to say. And that one, that trumps my opinion and your opinion. Yeah, that's good. You just modeled, really, I think one of the next steps it's important for us to think about that comes from Colossians 1, 28 and 29. And for me, that's really kind of a center replant verse. It says, Him we proclaim, and then it's talking about centering on the gospel, right? Talking about Jesus. And then it says this warning and teaching one, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we might present them mature in Christ. And then Paul says, for this I toil laboring with all of the strength that he gives me. So a lot of a lot of things here. We've talked about this verse before. If you've heard me speak at a associational event or at a, a NAM gathering, I'd probably use this verse. But the part that I want to highlight is Jimbo, you you did some teaching and you did some warning with that individual in a wise way, right? You you brought them to God's word. You helped them see why you were doing what you were doing. You helped them understand the the basis for your belief that was rooted in God's word. And then you you provided a gentle warning, right? Like, hey, this is the way we've got to lead the church. This is we've got to be about God's way, not our way, and not operating in our own wisdom. And that, and I think the way you handled that was very wise. And 
And uh, it probably led towards a, a moment of decision to, on the part of that person who had the questions, do I, do I submit to the leaders of the church or do I not, right? And I think it's so important for us to realize and anticipate and expect and prepare for conflict and disagreements to occur in the church. None of us are good enough vision casters or communicators or teachers or leaders to lead the church forward and for everybody to be with us 100% of the time, even if we have plurality of elders. We're going to be engaging in this warning and teaching throughout the life of our ministry. Heck, if Paul had to warn and teach, where do we think that we won't have to do those things, right? And I guess I would also add this. I'm going to say, like Paul said, this is probably one of the hardest things we have to do, right? We love to teach. Everybody likes to teach, right? Everybody wants to preach and lead a class or do a special group or small group or house group or teach on a particular topic, that sort of thing. We all embrace that one, but we don't embrace the warning side of it. And I think that's to our own peril. And I think a lot of the churches across North America that have been in decline are in decline because we've taught, but we've not warned. Or where we've warned, we've warned without wisdom. And the warning came from, I just want these people to get in line and follow me, rather than I want them to mature. So what you explained in the conversation with that individual just really captures beautifully the heart towards leading them towards maturity, right? And how to process it, how to think, how to wrestle with the scriptures, how to take what's presently happening in your life and apply God's word to it and come out on the other side, hopefully as a more mature follower of Jesus Christ. So I just want to encourage, you know, go to the Bible, realize the primacy of proclaiming the gospel, but also the the necessity of warning and teaching and doing that with wisdom. That's so good. Here's the thing, though, man. Sometimes even if you do everything right, there's still going to be people who are causing division and creating issues and they're destructive. And I, I'll never forget a particular guy in our church that, I mean, was, I mean, he was downright verbally abusive to me and to other leaders. He was intentionally creating division, never in a way that people who knew him would see it publicly, which made it hard because you wanted to people, there are people to this day who don't know what I had to put up with yes. with this guy who were like, Man, I wish he would come back to church. And I'm like, oh, no, please. I, <laughs> I don't want him back here. I mean, he I, I, I was tempted at times to be like, let me play for you some of the voicemails he left me. <laughs> and so in particular, after one just like brutal voicemail, when I mean, I, I'd been trying for, for months with this guy to, you know, the Romans 12, you know, if if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people, right? I was making sure I was doing my part. If possible, I'm going to do my part. So far as it depends on me, I'm going to be at peace with this guy. But it just wasn't possible, and it just wasn't going to happen. And I remember I got this voicemail, and I really didn't want to respond. I was having a bad day already, and the day had just started. And I was like, all right, Lord, I'm not calling this guy right back. I'm going to spend some time in your word. And I decided to go read Proverbs again because I said I need some I – read, I read a chapter of Proverbs every day. And I decided, Lord, I need you to give me some wisdom here. And it was it was the 22nd of the month. I know because Proverbs chapter 22, verse 10 came up. <laughs> and I was asking the Lord, I said, Lord, give me wisdom out of Proverbs. Tell me what to do with this guy. And I mean, I've spoken with my elders about him. We've met with him. We, I mean, all sorts. Of, we've done everything we can do. 
And I get to Proverbs chapter 22, verse 10, and it says, Drive out a scoffer, and strife will go out, and quarreling and abuse will cease. Amen. Amen. And I thought, okay, okay, Lord, I've heard you. I, I heard what you said. And so I called the guy. And I, I even said in my spirit with the Lord, I was like, all right, Lord, am I, am I hearing you correctly here that I just need to tell this guy to go? And, and look, maybe you disagree with me and you can let me know. I'd love to hear your opinion. I, I felt the Holy Spirit confirm it's time to tell this guy to go. I bear witness and I affirm that word from the Lord. <laughs> so, so I called the guy and was just like, look, I, I don't think I'm ever going to be able to measure up to the standards that you expect me to. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, I think you and I see my role as a pastor so differently that I don't really desire to meet the standards that you have. And I just don't think I'm going to end up ever being the pastor that you feel is necessary for you. And so I would encourage you to look elsewhere to see if you can find that guy. And he said, so are you kicking me out of the church? And I said, no, I'm not kicking you out of the church. I'm telling you, I, I am done trying to meet your expectations. I, I've realized not only can I not meet your expectations, I don't think it's what I'm supposed to do. I don't think I'm supposed to try to meet those expectations. And so either we've got to come to a resolution on that or you you probably need to leave because I haven't felt the Lord tell me it's time for me to go. Yeah, that's, that is good. Here's the reality. Some of our listeners are in small churches, normative sized churches, and they get a lot on the line, right? They move to a, a community, they're they brought their family there. They have moved into the parsonage if there's a parsonage, and they're in they're in a, s- a situation where because of the congregational governance of the church, they realize that they they walk a thin line. And here's the reality: that system is rife for abuse. Yeah, it just is rife for abuse, and it is also opportunistic in that controllers and family founders and people who feel like the church is theirs and it's not Jesus church, they can rise up and exercise control over that church thinking they're doing the right thing. And so if you follow a pastor who placated those controllers and those bullies and didn't resist them on biblical grounds, you may find yourself in a challenging position where you're going to have to determine, do I just keep going to get along or do I contend for the health and the maturity of this church. And so one of the things I would say is contend for the health and the maturity of the church, right? I think of the Titus 3.10, which says, for a person who stirs up division after warning them once and twice, have nothing to do with them, right? So some folks need to be warned. And the thing there is, is they're, they're warned multiple times, not just once. And so the, the reality is the person that you're dealing with has had issues, not just, you're not the first time they've had issues, right? They, they need to be warned. And then obviously for the health of the body and for the forward progress of the gospel, you need to help some people find their next place to go. Yeah. And I think you yeah. did a great job of that. Uh, I love how you said you're not kicking him out of the church, but you just plainly explained, here's who I am. Here's what you want. This is not going to work. And and I think from that, and I would suspect, Jimbo, that you know, the verse in Proverbs says that, that uh, strife will cease, right? And, and so I think pastors, one of the things you, you need to realize is sometimes it takes a stand and it takes some courage to stand up against some of these folks 
that are, are not going to get on board and they're just not going to be about what what your vision is or what God's vision is for the church. And sometimes you just need to help them find a place to go to. Yep. And uh, that's a hard thing to do. It is. Because people are super connected within a church, right? Yeah. But I just encourage you to do that. And then the body will heal. And then, and if not, and God moves you somewhere else, then rejoice in that as well. Yeah. well so all I'm going to say to close, it's a good thing he caught me on the 22nd of the month where I read that <laughs> verse and not four days earlier on the 18th. Yes. Where in Proverbs 18, 6, another one of my favorites says, a fool's lips walk into a fight and his mouth invites a beating. <laughs> So you would have, would you have read that verse and uh, punched him then? Is that I mean, I would have considered it. I would have, I okay. mean, I definitely considered it, but I mean, it, it just might not have been good timing. Yeah, so it was in the Lord's providential timing that he caught me on the 22nd, not the 18th. That's great. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, a resource for replanters by replanters. If you enjoyed this episode or found it to be helpful for you and your ministry, please help us get the word out by subscribing, sharing, and leaving us a review on your favorite podcast listening platform. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital. 180 Digital is a team of design, development, and marketing experts that love working with churches big and small. Check out 180.church, O-N-E-E-I-G-H-T-Y.church to learn more about how 180 can help your church move forward.